Um, let's get into That's BS because, oh my goodness, do we have a segment this, uh, this time around. Um, I know I didn't get too much into the sound bites last, uh, last week, but my buzzer is Will Smith from iRobot. It's the quote where he says, I'm allerg- allergic to bullshit. I'm sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. I just love that quote. I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's perfect. It, it is true. I mean, you sneeze and then you're, you're allergic to something, right? And, um, you know, he was in the room with some scientists and he disagreed. And, you know, he was just like, get out of here. I'm allergic to bullshit kind of thing. Um, now, Giff, yours is Jeff Daniels explained to Mary Swanson uh, a mix between a bulldog and a shit We called it a bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be one of my... I mean that's that's my top five comedy of all time. It really is. I mean everything. It's it's peak, peak, uh, peak Jim Carrey, peak Jeff Daniels. Fantastic movie. Um, and just just that's phenomenal scene. Um, so but you know it is the year twenty twenty, and if we all sneeze when we when we caught some bullshit, we all be sneezing all the time. So um, today uh, this year is uh is definitely if you're allergic to bullshit, you know you gotta be taking medication for that. But I digress. Let me get off my my soapbox now. Um, hey man, you want to uh, you want to start off with your first one? Let's uh, let's roll into it. Yeah, of course. Uh, so we got no sound here, but I will say um, that Kyrie Irving, he's pronounced. He's a pronounced guy. He wants to make his voice heard. Uh, there's no shock to that. He th- he still thinks the Earth is flat. He still thinks that you know he's better than LeBron James. Uh, he thinks he's the best player in the NBA. Which I don't mind the confidence, but let's be realistic, okay? Kyrie Irving said. He didn't think he needed a head coach with Brooklyn um, on the ETC's uh, podcast with Kevin Durant and Eddie Gonzalez. He said, I don't really see us having a quote-unquote head coach. KD could be a head coach. I could be a head coach some days. Mind you, Steve Nash just got hired to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets on September 3rd. Kyrie Irving loves to make enemies with his own. I don't understand his mindset. I really don't. I don't know if it's the maturity factor. I don't know if it's the I don't give a rat's ass attitude. But I will tell you that this is going to play a factor with Kevin Durant. Because Kevin Durant came back and said, uh, because the assistant coach, I forget his name, but he, he did very well for the Brooklyn Nets. And he said he hopes... He can be a coach someday, something of that nature. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like that. And I kind of look at Kyrie's relationship and Kevin Durant as, you know, swagger. You know, we're all about playing ball together kind of thing. You know, maybe we'll be good on the court. I think Kevin Durant is a substantially better player than Kyrie Irving. But I think when you put Kyrie Irving on the spot, man, this guy digs himself a hole. And it's sad because overall he's a great player, but man, he's a tough person to deal with. Brad Stevens had to deal with it. Danny Ainge had to deal with it. And I'm, if I'm Jason Tatum, I'm staying away from this guy because he's only going to create a serious amount of cancer in the locker room. We saw it when he was with the Celtics, and I guarantee Kevin Durant is not happy with the way this is starting because Steve Nash just became your coach, and you're going to go on the air and podcast and basically call him out and say, we don't need a head coach. We just need a player development coach. We just need somebody that can be there, you know, to help us, you know, figure out dribbles and, 
you know, play calling? Oh, we can do that. Kevin can coach. I can coach. Give me a break. That is probably the most BS thing I have heard in a while. And Steve Nash, to his credibility, he is an outstanding coach. He was with the Golden State Warriors helping out Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson and their inside dribble, you know, through the pick and roll and, you know, pocket passes. He's very good at what he does on the court, and he's going to lead by example. He has to come with that mindset to say, this is my house, Kyrie. He won't, but he has to do that because if not, he's going to be eaten alive by these guys, and it's not going to be serious work with Steve Nash and Brooklyn. So as I said, Giff, I, I, I honestly think Kyrie is just in, in, a, in a troubling situation with Steve Nash. And I just overall think that he has a lot of struggles with the way that he interprets his message in a defining and you know really a cohesive way. And I'm telling you right now, again, I said it just a couple minutes ago, I do not think that Kevin Durant liked what he said on air. And I definitely don't think that Steve Nash is happy with the way that this relationship has started. I don't. And I, I don't have the answers because Kyrie is what he is. We've been through it in Boston. Um, but my goodness, is he going to be the worst leader for those young players? I think for Kyrie to have the lack of awareness about how he comes across and to consistently blame others or none of the responsibility kind of falls on his shoulders i think you know he okay he's on his third team now right so when he's on his third team and you know never really had a coach kd can can be the coach um it, it, it just and i think he might have said it once when he was just like oh, i wasn't really that ready for for maybe the leadership role with the Celtics, uh, as I should have been, but like, you want to elaborate on that a little bit because you wanted your own team. Don't tell me that you wanted out from Cleveland. You know, you thought you could run the show. You thought you could do what LeBron did. Guess what? You got your own team. It was an absolute dumpster fire. It just was. So, to to have this lack of awareness about it always being somebody else's fault. Or you got a new coach coming in and Steve Nash, and he's like, well, KD can coach. Well, you're, you're cutting off Steve Nash's legs before he even starts, man. So what type of what type of tone is that going to set for the rest of the team? And and when you have other guys on that team, when you got a, a Spencer Dinwiddie or you got a, you got a vet in Derek Dudley, what do you think that they're going to take a look at that for? Like, you really think that they're going to take a look at that and go, oh, yeah, this guy's ready to go? No, it's the same old Kyrie. It's the same old nonsense. It's the same old BS that he consistently puts up at every pit stop that he goes through, and I am shocked that KD picked him to be his running partner. I really am, because when you have a guy who has left as many dead bodies as Kyrie has, you know, throughout every stop that he's gone to, I don't understand why you would want, oh yeah, I want to go play with that guy. Really? You want to go play with that guy? For a guy for a guy who's all about, you know, uh, a lack of distractions, or a guy who's always consistently yelling at the media for creating you know, these, these stories, that these narratives that they create to try and, like, undermine what he's doing. Well, who, that's the guy you're playing with. Kyrie can't shut his mouth. And now, consistently, all he's going to do is now create stories and create nonsense and distractions for you when you're trying to come back from a pretty de debilitating injury. 
So I don't know why you hit your wagon to that guy. I really don't. And, and to just cut out Steve Nash's legs already. You know, Steve Nash is a guy who, who is working with players, and that's his that, – good luck with that guy. Steve Nash has a full head of hair now. I bet you he looks like Patrick Stewart from the Star Trek Enterprise is what he's done because I think he, he – I, 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 he, he will go from either white to gray or, or excuse me, from, from jet black hair to white, or he's going to go no hair. Honestly, he's going to look like Patrick Stewart by the time he's done. And, and, and again, Kyrie's, Kyrie's there for four years. So who goes first if it doesn't work out? Steve Nash goes, not Kyrie. You can't fire the players. You can't fire KD. You can't fire Kyrie because player empowerment is so big in, in the NBA. It's going to be Steve Nash. So if you're Steve Nash, why do you sign up for the gig with that headache? I, I, I don't understand it whatsoever. Uh, I totally agree, Giff. Everything that you just said, that is the biggest BS with Kyrie. It is. I, I've never I never experienced it as a teammate or, you know, just somebody that was that selfish about himself, self-centered. And at the end of the day, Kevin Durant's probably like, dude, I totally disagree with you. I think Steve Nash is going to be so helpful, what he did with Golden State. I wish kind of Kevin Durant kind of called him out, but you never want to start a relationship off to that standpoint. But if I was Kevin Durant, I would to basically place Kyrie in his position to say, that was uncalled for. That should not happen ever again. Don't put us in the headlines. We don't want that. Because what that did last, last time with the Boston Celtics is make your game even worse because the media got in your head. Media got in your head. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. And so if I'm Kyrie, man, if I don't feel like Steve Nash is the right guy, and if I don't like playing with Kevin Durant, I'm still going to do it. You know, I'm still going to put my head down and go to work and see what we can do to work this out. But I'll tell you what, this is not a great start for the Brooklyn Nets, and it's not a good start for Steve Nash and his relationship with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I'm sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. Giff, let's get into uh, Bill O'Brien. Watson pitches, the ball is with a big defensive play, David Johnson did get it back. <clears throat> my that's BS, uh, or my first uh, contribution to uh, this, uh, uh, really the segment that's going to sweep the nation. I mean, I honestly think that in a year of BS 2020, I mean, I think that the coming out with this segment now, I think it's going to, uh, I mean, we could go on this forever. But um, so yesterday, about five o'clock Eastern time, um, Bill Bryan was relieved of his duties as the head coach uh, of the Houston Texans. Now, when you take a look at it, obviously they go, oh, yeah, well, he had to get fired. Well, if you look at it a little bit closer, I really don't know why you do this now. And I don't know um, why you waited so long because you, you look at Bill O'Brien's track record. Okay. So, uh, by the way, he went brown. Not a good look for brown. Not a, what could Brown do for you? He can get you fired in the NFL. Um, so you look at it like this. Um, he he has home playoff losses in 2015 and 2016. He has lackluster second-round performances in the 2016 season and um, giving up a 21 uh, nothing lead to the Kansas City Chiefs um, last year. Uh, you're up 21 nothing. And then you lose 51-31. Again, I don't know how that works, but it works. Um, now, why? So there was a power struggle. He went through two GMs, and then he finally gave himself reins as far as being the GM, being the head coach, and 
being the, the, the legal counsel for negotiating contracts with players. So if you're the owner of, and I think the, I think it's the, um, I forgot who the owners are for, for the Texans, but if you're the owner, okay, if you're looking at it as a business perspective, why on earth would you give one guy that much power and why would you give a guy that much power who hasn't produced anything? The only person in the NFL or in any professional sport whatsoever that should be the head coach and the GM is Bill Belichick. You know why? Because he has six rings. And you know why? He's gone to nine Super Bowls. Why on earth, under your nose, do you let one guy get that much power who's been, you know, mediocre at best? He's had home playoff losses. He's, and anytime his team has gone to the second round, he's gotten the doors blown off of it. So, and, and why do you fire him now? Because what you do is you create the narrative, or at least you, okay, they had the, uh, they had a pretty tough schedule, you know, to start off the year. They played really good teams, you know, to start off the season. But honestly, if, if, if I'm the owner and you trade the one offensive piece that you have that is going to help your quarterback out, who you gave a bag and a giant bag at that, a big bag of money to, when you're going to trade your main weapon for a guy who was good in 2016 and a bag of balls, I would have fired him right then and there. Like, what are you doing? The whole plan, the whole plan is to go ahead and extend Deshaun Watson so he's the quarterback of this franchise for many years to come. Now, you take away his best weapon and you rely on Will Fuller, who gets hurt three, four, five times a year and it's always the guy, when you can gauge a player based upon when he's always in the kind of like uh, fantasy conversation, and if the, the, the sentence starts off with, if he stays healthy, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign if you go ahead and that's the number one receiver that you're going to go ahead and, uh, and work. So I'm not calling BS on Bill O'Brien being fired. I'm calling BS on A, why did you let one guy get that much power within an organization who has had no results to show for? And B, a guy who traded away his best wide receiver for a bag of balls and a washed-up running back. So the fact that it went on this long, now what you've done is you leave your team in a compromised situation with putting Romeo Cornell into the mix, who's 73 years old, and you don't have anybody else waiting in the wings. Why did you wait this long? What along the way gave you the impression that somehow Bill O'Brien was going to go ahead and turn this thing around? So it's not BS in the fact that he was fired. He deserved to, to be relieved of his duties just because of the mess that he's created in that organization. But why did you let it go on this long? And, and how do you not see that he somehow weaseled his way into negotiating contracts, GM, and coach? And, by the way threw his play caller under the bus three games into the year and decided to take over the, the play calling duties, and he still stunk. So that's BS to me. Like I said, not the fact that he got fired, but the fact that it lasted that long and the the amount of just dookie drops that he's laid between him starting and him finishing his uh, his, his time with the with the Houston Texans. And now when you, when it gets to a coach and, and, and firing a coach, you always want to fire too early. You never want to fire too late. Because if you fire too late, it's way too late. And I would rather go early and still have some pieces left to work with. Never mind later when the whole organ, you know, when the whole team is gutted and you've just you've left yourself with nothing.
to your point too, uh, Gaff, you know, the Houston Texans are trying to build a foundation with their youth, right? You know, you got Will Fuller and you got Deshaun Watson. What makes Deshaun Watson want to stay? Because at the end of the day, I think he's going to want to walk. You know, I, I don't, I don't even care if they gave you, gave you like $40 million. You know, I think he's going to walk. And I just continue to, to not understand what, you know, Janice McNair and, um, I believe it was, let's see, Chris Olsen were thinking at the time because when you, when you look at the way Houston was built in the playoffs, Deshaun, I mean, Deshaun Watson was incredible, um, you know, for, for the majority of last year and even the year before that. From his rookie year, I mean, this guy's a gamer. He, he's a winner at Clemson, and he had a really good relationship with DeAndre Hopkins. And anytime you eliminate some somebody that you can count on and somebody that you're close with and you have a good relationship with and rapport, it's very, very hard to, you know, control your mindset to on to somebody else, right? And we're seeing it with Tom Brady, the transition, you know, to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, from Julian Edelman and what they had with New England. It's an easy transition, but you're seeing it with Edelman. Edelman doesn't have the guy that he trusts. And so that's vital to Deshaun Watson is having guys that he knows he can count on, catching balls, and also, you know, just to go all in on a, like you said, a running back that caught fire in 2016 and hasn't showed up since. It's kind of like, you know, really a bad job from a management standpoint. It's not even Bill O'Brien, like you said. He doesn't deserve the reins to make all the decisions. He deserves a head coaching job, but he doesn't deserve those type of decisions. So when you place that guy in that position, he has freedom reign to do whatever he wants to do. And when you give that guy that kind of power, it's like fantasy. It's like playing fantasy on Madden. You trade all the different players to try to get picks or try to be cute with it. And he cost the organization vital years. DeAndre Hopkins was a top three wide receiver in this league. And you gave it away for, for, like you said, a bag of balls. Perfect example of that's BS. By the yeah. way, in, 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 the, uh, in the amount of time that it took you to say what you're going to say, uh, Will Fuller just got hurt again. <laughs> um, look at that. So, um, yeah, look at that. Um, but, yeah, just a, a total lack of knowledge about what's going on in your organization letting a guy get that much power because oh, by the way this happens in the corporate world that never happens so that the the, the McNears definitely fell asleep at the wheel and, and now they have a you know they have a paid quarterback who might not be too happy in a couple of years so good luck with that one it's a great point they're they're going to be falling behind and it's only going to get worse from here so that is bs um moving on uh we'll be quick about this I want to just get into Adam Gase not getting fired. It just, over time, you just look at it, right? He's 7 for 13 with the Jets, right? Every single time, you know, his, his winning, his only winning record, listen to this, his only winning record was 10 and 6 with the Dolphins. And I think that was his first year coaching. First year coaching, quarterback guru, I coached Jay Cutler to, you know, really good, promising, um, you know, advancement in his career. 
having the best stats of his career in Denver. I, I was the quarterback whisperer for Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was awesome with the Colts. He didn't do anything. It just shows that he didn't do anything. And Sam Darnold, man, I feel bad for this guy. I, I don't know necessarily if, if it's Sam Darnold rather than the play calling or what have you, but Adam Gase deserves to get fired. How many times do we have to see, say this week in and week out? He just doesn't have a winning record every single year. He's a 6-10, and 7-9, 5-11 type of guy. And he's just not the answer to their question at head coach. And that's not an issue. What the issue is, you being complacent, saying that Adam Gase is your guy moving forward. He's always going to be the quarterback guru. And, and so I, I overlook the fact that Yes, the Jets are a terrible team. They are. But he also, in Miami, he traded away Jarvis Landry. He traded away Jai. He traded away Mike Pouncey. And all those guys had one thing in common, Giff. One thing in common. They wanted to win. They were passionate. They were loud. But they got the job done when it, when it mattered. Jai was a fantastic running back, put up. Close to 200 yards a week throughout the span of like five or six weeks. Jarvis Landry had over 100 catches in, in one year and then 90 and 80 in another. Somewhere around that. Mike Pouncey was one of the best centers in the game. Jamal Adams was one of the best safeties in the AFC. And Seattle just got him. He's injured, yes. But he continues to just trade away players that are talented and then you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you have nothing to show for on Sundays. And it's all because of your fault. So it, I, I hate to keep you know, telling, you know, throughout that's BS, putting coaches on the hot seat and telling them that they should be fired. But I'm telling you right now, the way that the Jets have been built and the way that, you know, really Adam Gase has put them in a, in a tough position. Woody Johnson, what are you waiting for? Go knock on his door and tell him he is gone. Because he's only going to make this organization worse. And you're not going to give any of these young players any hope. And who's going to want to sign with the New York Jets moving forward? You can't, if they came to me and said, hey, do you want to be a kick returner? you want to like be on our scouting team? I'd say go kick rocks. Like I am not playing for your organization. You guys are not a winning organization. And it's because of Adam Gates. You don't trade away your best players. That is horrible. Yeah, it, and I think too, um, when you're... Anytime this this uh, this label gets thrown into quarterback guru, um, you have to take a look at who has the guy created, okay? Not who has he coached. And I think that's a that's a big um, misconception with using the word guru, because when he when he got Jay Cutler, um, by the way, he got Jay Cutler after Jay Cutler's you know uh, career was really. Put off the, the starting blocks the right way. But you know who did that? Mike Shanahan. You didn't do that, Adam Gase. You coached him. You didn't guide him. And anytime you're like, oh, he worked with Peyton Manning. You mean to tell me that Adam Gase had any say as to went on with what the offense ran in Denver? You think John Elway brought Peyton Manning in to be coached by Adam Gase? Uh, no, that is the opposite. Adam Gase got to coach or, or, or be a um, contributor. With Peyton Manning. So when you take two of those two guys off the plate, right, who are you looking at? Okay, you're looking at Ryan Tannehill. Well, Ryan Tannehill got worse under Adam Gase, and guess what? 
he went to the team, who could use him the right way, and he got paid a second time from Tennessee. Okay, who do you go with the next guy? All right, you go to Sam Donald. Well, Sam Donald stinks, and he's under your... So, it's the, this, this whole misnomer about a quarterback guru. No, if he created a quarterback, or if he took a flyer on a guy in the second or third round and made him to a star, yeah, okay, maybe you could use that label. But this the, the guru between coached. He coached Jay Cutler. He got to work with Peyton Manning. Any guy who he's tried to put his hands on has collectively gotten worse. So, therefore, uh, the only thing Adam Gase can hope for is uh, Woody Johnson uh, being an ambassador for President Trump, going to the other uh, other states, uh, or excuse me, other countries, and working with other countries as far as our relations. Because the busier the Woody Johnson is, the longer that Adam Gase has a job. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I totally don't understand what they're waiting for. Just unplug him now and just get rid of it and just start fresh because again we're going back to the same way the Houston Texans are they waited and waited and waited and Bill O'Brien made that team worse by trading DeAndre Hopkins that is the same way Adam Gase went to the GM and told him I don't want Jamal Adams on my team that's exactly what happened Leonard Williams get him out of here I don't want him like Okay, if that's how you're going to run the show, just be a, just be a coordinator because your decision-making is horrific. It's terrible. Um, so that's how I feel about Adam Gase. I, I lived through it, so that's why I'm a little bit heated because you know you, you kind of look at it from a perspective of why is this guy still a head coach? Why, why is he still a head coach? It makes no, no sense. And I'll tell you what, if you ever have the chance, go look at his introductory press conference. That guy was on another level. There's a great video or meme of him following a taco. They have a taco. It's just running around the entire screen, and it's Adam Gase looking. His eyes are just out of out of sort, out of sync, and he's just looking around, and he, he's lost. And that's exactly how it started, and that's exactly how it finished. It's going to finish because he's lost. He can't get his head right, and I'll tell you what. There are skeptical things that happen in the Miami organization when he was coach. And I wouldn't be shocked if there's still skeptical things going on inside the Jets organization with Woody Johnson and, you know, uh, was it Greg Williams and Adam Gase? I guarantee you something's going on behind the scenes because it's just tremendously ridiculous that this guy still has a job. I can't get over it. Not winning, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there's something else going on. But that's another story for another day. So let's get into your other That's BS gif. LeBron James. For as good as LeBron James is, okay, he's, you know, you can argue, you know, where he ranks collectively as far as the Pantheon, as far as, you know, um, NBA grace, right? You, you can, you can, you can argue all day about where he ranks among the, the, the sports best basketball players. But what I don't understand, and, and this reared its head at the end of game three, where there's about 10 seconds left on the clock. And Miami has the ball, and it's very clear that they're going to run out the clock and, and, and just, you know, go on to the victory. But LeBron leaves the court. And by the way, he's not leaving the court because he's sitting on the bench. He's leaving the court, and he's also playing in the game. So collectively, it is now five on four. Now, obviously, Miami wasn't going to do anything, but LeBron left the floor, and he was ready to be done. Now, I wouldn't call BS on this. It seems to be a little bit of a track record with old Bron Bron about um, 
I don't know if he calls it leadership. I don't know if he calls it trying to light a fire under his guys. I'm not sure. But when you look at the alpha dog of all alpha dogs in, in NBA history, right? You got Kobe Bryant, RIP. You got Michael Jordan. You got Larry Bird. You got Magic Johnson. You, you, you got Shaq. Um, the one thing that you can put all in common with them is very rarely did they pull any sort of those stunts where they put themselves uh, above the team, per se. And LeBron has continuously done that throughout his entire career. And I, th- yeah, yeah, walked off the court, did that whole thing, um, you know, when he got eliminated and his free agency was coming up, he tore off his jersey and he's like, get this thing off of me as soon as possible. So my only thing with that and LeBron is there's no need to do that. Because now what you've done in a in a series that is going to be competitive anyway, where the stakes are heightened, where everything is going to be a magnifying glass based upon performance, based upon um, the X's and O's, based upon you know everything that goes into it, why would you put a, another magnifying glass based upon your body language? Why would you give Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, Max Kellerman, why would you give them another talking point to go off of as another distraction? Because you know damn well in this 24-7 sports news cycle era, why on earth would you create another distraction for your team? Now, I can understand if it hasn't happened before and you were frustrated, but he's done this consistently. He's done this over and over again. So, when he, and I don't know if he cares, but when you're, when you're, when conversations are happening with LeBron James as a player, everyone pretty much across the board is of the understanding that he's one of, one of the greatest to ever do it. But there's always a caveat. There's always a, yeah, but as a leader, he's done X, Y, Z. Like the dumb photo we put up of like the fist. Like, what, what, it, 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 to be perfectly honest with you, um, and and Kevin Love has come out since then that he's fought with anxiety, that he's fought with depression, that he's fought with everything else. That would make sense that he's on that team with LeBron and all of those passive aggressive, you know, nonsense things that he does. It makes sense why that would flare up for Kevin Love from time to time, you know. So why would you give your team another distraction? I don't understand it. You are up in the series two to one. You lost the game and. By the way, you had eight turnovers and you sucked. So why would you then walk off the court like a child and give everybody else another talking point and add another distraction to your entire team? I don't understand it. It's somehow in his DNA to pull that bullshit, and I don't understand why. that. This is why it's hard to root for LeBron sometimes. And as a Lakers fan, when he first came on board, it's like, okay, well, the team didn't do well. But I still feel weird about rooting for LeBron because he pulls this crap all the time. So I'm not going to, this isn't a old man yells at clouds sort of deal. But why, especially this time of all times, would you give your team another thing to answer questions about? I don't understand it. If you're going to light you guys up in the locker room, first off, you got to look in the mirror first because you stunk. But why would you, why would you add another distraction to your team when all the magnifying glasses are on it anyway.
So that's my BS. Don't add extra distractions. It doesn't help anybody, and everyone's going to have to answer about it, and I'm sorry they're going to be sick and tired of answering on it, and they're all going to probably think it's bullshit nonetheless. Yeah, but you know what? I, I always look at LeBron's um, you know, career and his legacy. Everybody's going always go, going to remember he's playing the court, and I, and I fully get that. But you are right. This guy is a diva. He always, you know, tries to find some some kind of you know weird element to bring to the table. He's his message with Black Lives Matter is is correct, and his direction in promoting that that's great. I'm not saying that that's not good. What I'm trying to get at is he always, for some reason, turns out to be a sore loser when he doesn't get his way. And the great the great players just go through it. They live through adversity, and they say, okay. It's on to the next one. It's on to the next one, right? It's a fresh 48 minutes that I have to worry about after this. And his mindset is always caught up in the little things. Like, why do you have to walk off the court with 10 seconds left in the game? It's the same thing that he did, like I said, when he was in the garden playing the Celtics. He walked off. He went to the locker room early, threw off his jersey, as you said. So you just can continuously see this. And... At age, what, 35, 36 years old, he's still doing this? I, I don't think Michael Jordan, I don't think any of the greats, as you said, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, have ever just walked off the court. They're fighters. They're going to see the Miami Heat excited. And what they're going to do is utilize that as energy. And I will say one thing that I did like about LeBron at the end of that game is looking up at Pat Riley because I saw it. He looked up at Pat Riley, and Pat Riley looked back at him, and they said, it's on. Like, they said, it's on. This is going to be a series. There's no way that we're just giving it to you. There's no way. I don't care who you are. I don't care who's on your team. We're going to fight the good fight, and we will end up making this a series. But LeBron James needs to have a maturity factor to him, to his off the court, because he is all about himself most of the time, and he needs to really engage on the moment, his team, being there for his team. Go over to your teammates and you know, go over to them and say, hey, you know what? That one slipped away. We'll go, we'll go get them soon again. But to walk off the court a sore loser because you lost the game and because you threw eight turnovers, go back into the next 48 minutes and throw 16 assists on the board. Let's see what he can do tonight because I want to see how he responds from that. That moment, you're right. Anytime you give the media something to run with, they're going to make you devastated. You are, you are not going to like what you hear. Same with Kyrie Irving. That's why when I look at comparisons to Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, those are the different factors that come into play. You can't speak the true, your, your true mind because the media will throw you up in the ball and throw you in the trash, and it's never good. It's like what we're doing here. We're talking about it. Does he want us to talk about that? Or would he rather talk about us, you know, breaking triple-double records or, you know, being one of the greatest of all time or leading the, you know, NBA history in the most playoff games played? Like, he's up there in every single category, and he just continues to give people the doubt and say, okay, I'm not going to root for this guy. Why would I do that? Michael Jordan has never did that. And so you got to have that kind of mentality of on to the next one and be there for your teammates. That's the biggest factor. Be there for your teammates. Say, 
hey, you know what? I got to do better and we all got to do better. And not walk off the court like a little baby because you missed out on an opportunity. That is just beyond BS. And Giff, real quick, to that point, there was that meeting with Black Lives Matter with the Players Association and the NBA as a whole. LeBron walked out of that meeting angry because he didn't like what he heard. And that, that, that decision was to allow the players to stay and play and work it out and live through the Black Lives Matter movement from Orlando and make that message known around the world. And for, for whatever reason, he, I don't know what happened in that meeting. There wasn't like a lot said. But they said that LeBron walked away from that meeting angry. And I guarantee the reason why he walked away angry is because he didn't like, like it because he couldn't get his way. And that's, that's always been LeBron James. We, we can't be shocked, people. That's always been his you know, charisma and his attitude and you know, the demeanor and leadership to his teammates. He really, at the end of the day, he cares about his own greatness. You know, it's, it's, it's witnesses to his greatness, right? That's what he always preaches. It's, it's people watching me. Not people watching my team, people watching me. That's always how he's been in since he's been in this league. And it continues. And I'm telling you right now, the more spotlight you have on yourself, the more likely your teammates aren't going to show up for when you need it. So, and that's not to say on the court. That's not to say on the court. He, those players will play on the court with him. But when needed from a leadership standpoint, they're not going to go to him. Why would they want to go to him? He's all about what, what can I do for me? What can I do for me? Let me get mine. Join Clutch. Everybody join Clutch. Let me get that compensated, uh, compensation. At the end of the day, it's, it, it's a continuous hurdle for LeBron James. And like I said, he's always been about himself, self-centered. A lot of comparisons, I'm telling you, a lot of comparisons with Kyrie Irving. And I, just, I, I don't get why the two just don't keep their mouth shut and just play. Like, not shut up and play, but what I'm saying is you got to understand and learn that if you say something to the media, they're going to blow it up out of proportion. That's their job. And if you give them that ammo walking off the court, my goodness, just run away from the TV and radio. It's going to be everywhere. You just keep digging yourself a hole. And people are going to remember you for that moment. People aren't going to remember you putting up 38, 40 points in game two they're going to be saying, hey, remember when LeBron walked off the court in game three? That's exactly what they're going to remember. Now, it's not that catastrophic gift. It's not. It's not like huge, colossal, you know, colossal moment. But I will say that is another step into LeBron's you know, selfishness and petty, pettiness and divaness. He's always been about himself. I'm not shocked. Called it a bullshit. <laughs> but any final thoughts um, for tonight or you know, for this week? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think, you know, Philly's the best spot for him. Um, in brief, I think defensively they're going to be better. Um, but, again, my hot take, as we talked about it in, you know, previous shows and, you know, off air, is I think the Sixers should trade and bead and roll with Ben Simmons and, you know, their gang. Because at the end of the day, if, if you look at the bigger picture with Philly, I'd rather build off of, you know, with Ben Simmons rather than Joel Embiid. I think the, the pace of the game would be much faster. I think defensively they'd be more sound. I, I think Embiid's really just like a huge guy that, 
you know, dominates down low, which is not a bad thing, but he just doesn't have like the, the energy to last the, you know, the, the entire game. And, and that really comes to the fact that he's not in shape and he doesn't take it seriously. Anytime you come into a season and you're that in that type of shape, it just shows that you got complacent throughout the summer. You didn't work out in the gym. You didn't do what you're supposed to do to like, you know, at least lose, you know, five to 10 pounds. Because overall, they they have the right pieces. Tobias Harris had one of his best years with Doc Rivers with the Clippers. He's going to be huge this upcoming year and with Doc Rivers. But I will say, where does that get you? Where does, you know, the combination of Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford get you? It may get you a couple of picks for Embiid and, you know, a couple of other foundational pieces, maybe some shooters. But I just, I, I look at the way Philly's makeup, they just never have been a consistent franchise. And, you know, ever since the AI days, Allen Iverson, you know, they really haven't made themselves known in the Atlantic Division or, you know, in the East. You know, mind you, Brett Brown made it to, you know, semifinals with, um, you know, against the Toronto Raptors, but, and they lost on that buzzer beater, the quiet buzzer beater. But I think, the way that Philly's makeup is, it, it's mediocre for Doc Rivers. And again, I, I used to be a Doc fan, but I'm continuously thinking that he is overrated and he just doesn't win the type of games that you should win and he doesn't put the right you know, uh, pieces to the right puzzle. So I think eventually people are going to understand that Doc Rivers isn't, isn't what he is, what he was with the Boston Celtics, when they won only one championship, right? And they should have won two or they should have won three. But it's just, you just continuously think like, you know, Doc's going to get over it, but he doesn't. You know, he he did that with the Clippers. You know, he had a great season with Orlando. They went to Boston. They went to the Clippers, did what he did. And I just don't see it being a good fit for Philly. His assistant, mind you, before we close out here, his assistant, Ty Lue, is looking for a head coaching gig, and it's between the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Rockets. Gif, in brief here, who do you think um, you know has the best shot of getting Ty Lue? Um, <clears throat> I think the best shot of getting Ty Lue, uh, I think, will be the Clippers. Um, but I think the best fit for him uh, would be the Pelicans, only because he has the right nucleus underneath him um, with, with Zion and... Uh, you know, with those boys down in New Orleans, um, I think that's the best fit for him long term because he can really take the raw talent uh, that's down there and really mold them to where you know they're they're going to be competing uh, in the West for a long time. But I think the Clippers will nab him. But just be aware that Steve Ballmer is looking to win now. He didn't spend billions of dollars, you know, building that that new stadium in Inglewood to not have a title at least going into it. So just know if you do go into the, the Clippers environment, it's title or bust. Yep, yep, it's it's title or bust. So I think the Clippers will nab him. Um, I don't think that Houston job is worth uh, that stinks with a that that stinks to high heaven because you know this is Daryl Morey's last stand. And if you're the coach, that you're the last coach Daryl Morey hires, and they somehow fall flat again, that whole organization is going to get flipped on its head and going to be out the door. So. I think the best fit for him long term would be with the Pelicans, but I think the Clippers will probably. Not I'm going to make this easy on us. I totally agree with everything you said. 
Clippers exactly the spot that he should be in. Uh, look what he did with you know Kyrie and LeBron, and he's only going to turn it up his his coaching legacy. So I think if he stays with the Clippers, they have a great future ahead of them. And I also think they need a, another piece to make it work even further. Um, you know, maybe get a little more talent coming off the bench. But I will say, um, you know, the Pelicans' job does look attractive to a lot of coaches, and Ty Lue might fit pretty well there. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's going to be a fun week. Uh, we're going to find out where he lands. Uh, we're also going to find out, you know, what happens with some NFL injuries, what's going to happen in week five. So, um, GIF, appreciate you uh, chiming in here and giving your, uh, your analysis as always. And you know, we're going to continue this. And uh, people, stay on the lookout. I'm trying to get, you know, a couple of coaches and, and some, some players uh, locally to join for an interview or two. So, uh, be on the lookout as well as some merchandise. Um, I do have some t-shirts, some hats, and some sweatshirts being made, as well as listen to us as always on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. GIF, I appreciate your time. Uh, definitely, you know, hope the best for you and that baby boy and, you know, your wife as well. And, you know, we'll continue this next week. All right. Thanks, brother. Let's do it again next week. Sounds good.